Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Simon Mills. I'm a senior associate at the Zien Group, and I'd like to welcome you all to this morning's FS Club webinar, where we're going to be discussing, discussing a new regime for environmental law. I'm joined by Julie Hill, a non-executive board member of the Office for Environmental Protection, the OEP, which is the newly established public body that protects and improves the environment by holding the government and other public bodies to account. Julie's had a long and distinguished career in environmental policy and politics and is currently also the head of the Institute for Environmental Sciences and chair of the Advisory Committee for Social Sciences and for the Food Standards Agency. Now, as always, the agenda for this webinar is very simple. Following my introduction, our speaker is going to make their presentation and then we'll move on to the Q&A session. Now, I am afraid that you are all muted, but you are able to submit your questions to, through the chat tool, which is on the right hand side of your screen. Please do chip in at any point of the proceedings. I'm going to be collating your questions and I will put them to our speaker at the end. As with all of our FS Club webinars, we're going to be recording this session and you're going to be able to access the slides and presentation at a later, doubt, uh, later date. Now, before we move on, I really must thank FS Club members who've opened up our webinar series to the public. Since, with, with their help since March of 2020, we've held over 400 of these topics on uh, of these events on topics as diverse as money laundering, the metaverse, and high salinity agriculture. The FS Club is the premier global executive knowledge network for technology and finance, where members and their friends can meet over a glass of wine to debate key issues which impact on financial services, technology and society. It's very much like a 21st century of the city's 17th century coffee houses. And so, without further ado, I would like to introduce, introduce today's speaker. Julie, tell us about the new regime for environmental law. I will do. Simon, thank you very much. And good morning, ladies and gentlemen. I'm really pleased to have this opportunity to tell you about OEP. Uh, it's a relatively new body. It's an important body. Um, but I also would really value the opportunity um, a bit later. I, I know you'll perhaps want to ask me questions, but I'd also really value your views on the importance of environmental law, particularly for stimulating investment in all the things we're going to need um, for a, a more sustainable future. So, so please bear that in mind and uh, give me some of your views at, at the end. Um, I'm doing the next slide, please, uh, although Sasha's ahead of me, so thank you, Sasha, who's on the slides. Uh, just to tell you a little bit about my experience, um, I've had, uh, actually for probably the last <clears throat> nearly 30 years now, more non-executive roles than executive ones. So I've served on the board of um, things as diverse as uh, the Eden Project, uh, which is one of uh, England's flagship environmental projects, the Environment Agency for England and Wales, the Consumer Council for Water. Uh, I was chair of uh, the Waste and Resources Action Programme known as RAP, which is, uh, has a huge interest in uh, resource use and the sustainability of resource use and also roles with the Food Standards Agency. And as Simon said, my present two roles are OEP um, and the Institution of Environmental Sciences. So, so quite a, um, a long non-exec career, uh, which, which has enabled me to really get a sense of how body, public bodies 
um, and their sector bodies operation, how they help to improve the environment. So next one, please. Um, so um, I'm always conscious when I'm talking to any audience is why should you be interested in this at all? And what I would say to an audience that uh, may be primarily interested in some of the business aspects of this uh, alongside sustainability is um, I feel a lot of people feel environmental law fosters innovation um, and reduces risk. So it's not just about trying to build a good reputation. There are real sustainability risks out there. Um, and getting across environmental law can cost money. So better to get that right from the from the outset. Next, please, Sasha. So what 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 and who are we? Uh, so relatively new, established uh, by law in 2021. We are England and Northern Ireland, Scotland and Wales. The other two devolved nations of the UK have their own bodies um, on, on this. Uh, we were really made necessary by the UK's exit from the European Union because previously uh, members of the public would have had the ability to take public, hold public authorities to account via the European Court of Justice. Uh, and so the argument was accepted in, um, in Parliament in the UK that uh, certainly for, for, for all of us, there should be a new way to hold public authorities to account. Next one, please, Sasha. Um, and so that is our mission. We, we protect and improve by holding government and other public authorities to account. So that can include local authorities um, and some other quite specific examples. Next one, please. And so, so just to give you a sense of what we, we cover, we actually have um, a broad range of powers that enables us to get an overview of how environmental law and actually environmental progress generally is, is going. So starting from uh, the right hand side, I think the thing most people understood about us, first of all, was the ability to enforce. Uh, so investigate failures in law and enforce them. And we can go to court. I'll, I'll say a little bit more about that in a minute. We can take public authorities to court to make that enforcement in the last resort. But we hope to do a lot of what we do through advice, advice to government, um, and we hope to do a lot by monitoring environmental law uh, more broadly and, and reporting on how well it's being implemented. Uh, but the column on the left in some ways represents one of our, our greatest uh, abilities to influence, uh, which is we have in, in, um, in English law, uh, the requirement for government to have something called an environmental improvement plan, which is a statutory requirement to set out plans and goals and targets to improve the environment uh, over, well, the first one covered 25 years, uh, and they are a rolling five-year uh, plan. Now, this is this is quite a thing to have. It's, it's sort of reasonably um, unprecedented, I think, in global terms to have something of that comprehensive nature. And our job is to report progress on delivering it. So to scrutinize progress against those goals and targets. Um, and I'll tell you a bit of, uh, about where we've got to uh, a little bit later on. Uh, next slide, please. And so um, this, the, this is the, the annual reporting cycle uh, of the environmental plans. The, our first report on this, we published uh, uh, last year. Um, sorry, that should actually say May 22. Uh, and it, it is very much about taking 
taking stock. That's why we, 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 we called it taking stock on how the plan is going. Um, and if I could have the next slide, please. Uh, we, we started that process by not just sort of trying to assess progress against uh, individual targets as they are, but really trying to think um, from first principles what the building blocks of building blocks of good national level environmental stewardship might actually be. So, in other words, saying if this is if this is a plan, what would we consider a good plan, a well-made plan? Uh, and we thought there were six distinct elements to that, which are what we're really trying to tell government we would like to see them improve. Um, the first one is, is starting right back from the beginning. What are the drivers and pressures on the environment? So what is it that's causing environmental degradation on the ground? And that, of course, is everything from uh, the way we use land to building roads, pressures on our water. Um, what are the root causes, if you like, of, of the problems we're seeing? Next, you know, any good plan should have a vision. Where are we trying to get to? Any good plan should set concrete targets. Uh, but then the targets are no good unless there's some kind of coherent strategy and policy to reach those targets. And in order to have those things, really, what is needed is cross-governmental governance. Uh, so the sense that environment sustainability is not just the business of a dedicated environment department, but it reaches across all areas of government, those concerned with things like transport and housing, with business, with energy provision, um, there must be cross-governmental mechanisms for making sure the plan is working. Uh, and to really understand whether it is, there must be measuring, assessment against goals and reporting, transparency, so that everyone knows that that, that is how it is working. Next slide, please. And so our first, um, our first monitoring report uh, looked at 32 environmental trends and 23 concrete targets. We also thought a bit about climate adaptation. Um, I should add that climate mitigation measures lie mainly with a body that is parallel to ours, the Climate Change Committee, but we work closely with them. Um, and of course, adaptation to climate uh, runs across all the environmental goal areas. Um, and then also that piece about governance, evaluating uh, how environmental stewardship is, is going. That's our our sort of way, our, our terminology for embracing, are we, are we getting the governance of this right? Does the government have um, a way to fulfill that ambition of being the first generation to leave the environment of England in a, in a better state? Uh, and so now we'll go on to what we found when we looked across those. If I could have the next slide, please. Um, and I, I'm afraid it's not a great picture. Uh, and it's supposed to be the first time the picture has been presented this comprehensively and this starkly, really, um, that most trends not showing improvement. Progress, I'm afraid, not demonstrably on track for any of the targets we assessed, and some we couldn't even get the right information. So if I show that in pictorial form, if I could have the next slide, please. Um, we're very much in a, in a sort of traffic light situation here. Uh, so these are the trends. So this is what's happening in the environment, according to some headline indicators. Um, and you can see for that where we might all want a picture that is wholly green um, across those, uh, those, those goal areas. Um, we have a picture that is only a little bit green 
uh, some that's not changing the orange um, and some where there's clear deterioration, the red. And, and those that are gray are where we didn't have enough data to make it an assessment. Uh, so, so not a good picture on the ground. And then if I could have the next slide, please. Um, possibly, arguably an even worse picture in terms of progress against targets. Uh, so there you can see that um, of the targets we assessed, and these are the government's own targets, um, uh, that, that seven were significantly off track, um, seven off track, and quite a few, unfortunately, just not enough data to make a, an assessment. And we weren't able to deem any of them as actually on track. So that is uh, the picture we had, and it's a picture we will aim to refresh, of course, at, at regular intervals. If I could have the next slide, please. Um, and, and I suppose I would, you know, in talking to this kind of audience, um, and I'm sure this is self-evident to many people, really, and we've been having this debate in the media, of course, in the UK about the importance of goals, um, but without certainty of progress, without having goals and binding targets and progress towards them, there's not enough certainty for investment in many areas. Seems to be a quite a clear narrative that's coming forward. Um, it's also, the, the picture's not fully taking account of the way one thing is related to another. So of course, climate change will affect lots of those environmental goal areas and vice versa. Uh, and so to not be showing progress on all fronts really means we're, we're taking bigger risks and, and potentially creating bigger, uh, very negative independences. Um, and we're also just not getting the data. I mean, I've, I've been in the environmental field for a very long time now, and it feels like having insufficient data has been a narrative for, for you know, just about all that time, and we're still not doing it. We're still not uh, devoting the resources uh, to, to gathering the data that we need to really understand the picture. Okay, next slide, please. Um, just, to, just to give you a sense of um, going back to the complaints and enforcement piece about what we, what we can do in the last resort. I mean, the, the commentary I've just given to you about the government's plans, um, is something that we hope will help government to make better plans. But at the end of the day, if, if um, tar statutory targets are not being met or damage is being done to the environment by public, public authorities, we can receive complaints, we can investigate, um, we can ask for more information, uh, we can uh, then serve a notice that says what we feel should be done to uh, mitigate, and if, if that doesn't have the desired effect, we can eventually go to court in the form of an environmental review uh, and urgent cases can go to judicial review. So we do, we have powers and we do have some teeth. Uh, and if I could have the next slide, please. Um, possibly the first area where this has been um, very evident and it has been quite widely in, in the press is uh, we launched a, an investigation into complaints connected with um, sewage performance. And this is the release of, of, of sewage into our waterways and water bodies um, as, a, as a consequence of um, the UK having a rather aged sewer system that combines rainwater, surface water with household sewage. And um, there are circumstances in which that has to overflow 
what is contentious is whether that is happening at times it shouldn't uh, in an unlawful way and our initial investigations if I could have the next slide please um, do suggest that uh, there have been failures to comply with environmental law by the three public authorities that should be looking after this. So we uh, have issued the first stage of that enforcement procedure I showed you to get more information uh, and then we will consider what to do next. So that's really by way of illustration. Uh, we can go from looking across the entire environmental piece and how government is meeting or not its own its own targets and, and goals to enforcement of what has become an issue of really serious public concern, the contamination of our rivers with uh, raw sewage. Uh, next slide, please. Uh, and just also to give you a sense of, of um, what we do in Northern Ireland, which has um, certainly its fair share of environmental challenges. Um, Northern Ireland uh, produces, has, has a, a great deal of livestock. Um, that's one of its major land uses, and that is an issue in terms of ammonia production. Um, it is developing its own environmental improvement plan, which is a, an equivalent to uh, the environmental um, improvement plan in England, but that process is, has been slowed up and we're paying a lot of attention to that, um, reporting on various aspects of law there. Um, and we're also keeping a strong watching brief on some of the currently very visible problems for water quality in Northern Ireland and where there might have been failures there. So we um, are, are trying very hard to, uh, in parallel, look at, at, at how Northern Ireland can improve its environment as, as well as England. So I think, next slide please, I think that uh, pretty much brings me to the, the end of the remarks I wanted to make. Uh, and that's how you can get hold of us. If anyone would like to email me directly, um, I, I think Simon and colleagues will, will route emails through to me. I'd be, be very pleased to chat further with people, but look forward to um, hearing if you have any questions or, or observations for me on, on any of that. Thank you very much. Simon, I think you might be muted. <laughs> A rookie error. Uh, it's, it's one I often make, don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much, Julie. As I was saying, that was absolutely fascinating. And I can see we've got a lot of questions from our audience. But as the chairman, the privilege of asking the first one uh, falls to me. Um, now, the OEP is not a regulatory body, but it, it, it's a, an independent oversight body which scrutinises the whole environmental system and, and developments. What impacts do OEP findings actually have? Has the OEP got teeth? Uh, well, as I as I outlined um, through that slide on our, our procedures, um, you know, in the last resort, we can take public authorities to court. Um, but I I always hope, and certainly we've all of us always said, we would rather not get to that stage. We would rather resolve issues uh, through giving advice to government and in dialogue with government, uh, because that's that's gonna be, um, we feel a more productive route. Uh, so we, we very much want our influence by being via 
having this really in-depth understanding of what's going on. And that's why I talk so much about what is the ingredients of a good plan, what understanding is needed, how good are the indicators of the state of the environment, how good is the assessment. Because uh, I, I think we all feel there's no point ending up in court if the basic building blocks of governance for the environment are not in place. And that's where we really hope to have influence by setting that out in what should be a helpful way um, and helping the government understand just where it is. Do you think the environment is currently in the crosshairs of the, the culture wars? We've heard various pronouncements from various um, politicians over the last couple of days. Do you think environmental protection is being pushed uh, further down the, the, the policy agenda? What are your concerns with, 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 with this particular area? Well, our primary concern is whether the law is being followed. Um, so we have commented, um, and I, I should have said, obviously all this material is on our website. And if you look at recent commentary, um, we did take a strong position on recent proposals to, um, in our view, diminish some environmental protections around the way nutrients, so um, nitrogen uh, and phosphorus pollution were being handled. Um, so, so our primary concern is, is, is there going to be a rollback of law uh, or is there a dangerous statutory targets not being met? Uh, and, and those are long term concerns. That's what we're most concerned about. Uh, we, we do not sort of go into government policy um, other than to say whether we think delivery, the delivery of an environmental improvement plan is, is credible. Uh, Personally, I, I think there's a lot of evidence that public opinion is uh, in, in all the political parties and supporters of all the political parties is very much in favour of environmental action. So personally, um, I very much hope it does not become a culture war. I think it, it has strong potential to be a matter of widespread public agreement. Um, but quite what the what. Um, people in government make of that public opinion, of course, is entirely up to them. Um, in terms of the rollback of the law, that would be something that is beyond OEP's remit, wouldn't, wouldn't it? Because fundamentally, if the law changes, you haven't got a leg to stand on in, in terms of challenging uh, the government or, or, or statutory bodies. Yeah, yes, we, we can say that in our view, it amounts to a regression of environmental law um, and commitments in the Environment Act uh, require that there should not be a regression of law. Um, the government recently made a U-turn on, on petrol and diesel vehicles, the, 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 the retiring of these from, from the national fleet. Um, even car manufacturers have questioned the logic of this. What can the OEP do to support businesses who um, are concerned about uh, policy instability affecting their their ability to 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 invest in the UK? Well, as I said, we you know our, our powers don't extend to commenting continually on policy. We through the commentary on the environmental improvement plan. We aim to show where the government can meet or, or not, or we think it's likely the government will or not meet its own targets. 
the particular targets you're talking about are not statutory targets. So again, there's not a, a, a regression of environmental law there. But there is, of course, a statutory target to meet net zero, uh, which together with our colleagues in the Climate Change Committee, you know, we are concerned that there are measures to meet it. Uh, but their commentary on that is probably going to be the most powerful, the climate change committees, uh, because they there are but there are budgets, climate um, climate uh, emission reduction budgets that have to be met, and so the climate change committees commentary uh, I think is where you know the force will be felt. Does the OEP have a voice in national infrastructure decisions? So uh, I suppose HS2 is the the, the obvious example. W would you would you have a, a a remit to comment on on plans to either push ahead or roll back on on infrastructure projects? No, not as not as such. I say our our concern is current environmental law. Um, I think that's much more for the Infrastructure Commission. Um, but presumably the, the OEP is, is, uh, has links with the, the Infrastructure Com Commission. Do, are, are all these, these, uh, they, they, these bodies sitting separately and considering things separately or do you actually discuss uh, issues? Uh, certainly, we do a lot with the Climate Change Committee. Uh, infrastructure is something you know, we take an interest in if it impacts on the statutory goals and targets and, and plans. And we talk to them in a large range of stakeholders um, across the piece. But it's not infrastructure planning is is not something we, you know, would directly get involved in. We we would have certainly have a concern about the way environmental impact assessment is done in relation to those sorts of projects. Um, that would that because those are matters of law, and that would certainly be one of our concerns. Yeah. What about trade agreements? If the government is signing trade agreements with other nations, and it uh, potentially has a an impact on uh, the environment of the UK, would you have a remit to uh, to call those into question? Uh, I think again that would depend whether it involved changes to our laws in order to facilitate a trade agreement. Oh, okay. Well, so that it, it, it's uh, it's obviously very, very uh, subtle the influence that you can you can have on uh, on 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 government policy. Um, with respect to the current controversy, there is with regards to uh, the water industry uh, charging uh, or uh, uh, proposing to to charge consumers for the clean up of, uh, uh, of waterways and investment in infrastructure. Again, is that something that, that the OEP would have a, a remit in, in, in oversight or is that something for off what? Yes, the charging of customers is um, what comes out at the process of scrutinizing water company plans and, there, and then the price, the price review and the price that cons, uh, consumers are charged is very much off what, uh, with strong commentary by the Consumer Council for Water, which is one of the other bodies I've, I've worked for. Um, our concern is, uh, as I outlined in those slides, is about where um, rules on pollution may have been breached. 
Now, the eventual implications of that could well be that more investment needs to um, go into infrastructure. I mean, certainly, I think the water companies themselves have said that, and that is part of the reason for uh, price increases. But our primary concern would be how, how do we make sure the law, um, if it has been breached, to say we, we are still in an investigation stage, we've asked for more information, but if there have been breaches of law, how does that get corrected? Uh, and the further implications of that will be something that those public authorities will have to pick up. So you can hold off what's feet to the fire if they haven't been doing their job properly? Yes, indeed. But um, it's, you know, what we what we say about how that gets corrected is yet to be determined. The scope, the scope of that is yet to be determined. So, you know, I'm not saying we would necessarily tell them that there must be more investment, but they've already said that themselves. Um, you mentioned uh, climate change adaptation during your, your presentation. This is this is mm. a, an area of particular interest to me. Um, the UK was a world leader in climate change adaptation up until about 2010, and then things rather went off the boil. Um, what progress has been made with regards to a national adaptation strategy? And are you confident that uh, all of the potential impacts, first, second and third order impacts, are being taken into account um, in, in the formation of, of both government policy and, and legislation? Well, we included some commentary on climate adaptation in our um, scrutiny of the environmental improvement plan. Um, so the, the detail of that you can read in there. As I said before, um, climate, certainly climate mitigation um, is primarily the business of the Climate Change Committee and adaptation falls among, I think, quite a number of bodies. Uh, I wouldn't like to say in the round how confident any of us are. Um, I think really, have a, have a look at some of the commentaries on the individual goal areas that we've, we've made. Uh, but I, I do feel it's very much for the Climate Change Committee to give the overall picture. We we work with them. Um, now, we've got an interesting question here from uh, mm. one of our audience members, um, which is basically saying that the effectiveness of the OEP very much um, relies on, on good faith and, and mutual good faith between uh, institutions. How effective can you actually be uh, if, if the clear implications of your assessment in terms of environmental quality trajectories and, and policy implementation, implementation tells you the government is actually establishing policies that it never intends to deliver? Um, I'm, I'm not sure it'd be fair to say that it never intends to deliver. I don't think any of us would see any of what's been laid out as cynical in any sense. In fact, in many ways, it's very ambitious. It's just the ability to carry that through into concrete delivery plans um, that we're querying. As I said, I wouldn't like anyone to get the impression that we're saying um, this is some kind of um, smokescreen exercise. I'm absolutely sure that's not the case. Uh, so how effective can we be? Well, obviously, you know, as I'm sure you've you've realised in any um, 
body that's holding other public authorities to account, there's a large elements of political will. Uh, and that, as in many other subjects, potentially waxes and wanes. Um, you know, I can I can only say that we have the power to set out the situation, to tell truth to power, if you like. Um, and we also have the power to go to court in certain circumstances. Now, how effective, as in change on the ground, either of those turn out to be is impossible for any of us to discern. You know, we can, but do the job to the best of our abilities. And we've been pretty forceful so far. Uh, what any government makes of that is entirely up to the government in question. Um, now, in terms of uh, how the, the OEP operates, it was, it was established as a replacement for the European Court of Justice. Mm -hmm. um, can corporations... Uh, approach the OEP and ask for investigations into uh, the effectiveness of, of uh, both environmental policy and environmental law implementation. So, uh, you know, for example, could car manufacturers uh, question the government's approach with rolling back uh, um, uh, the 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 the, the um, the banning of diesel and 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 and, and, and petrol vehicles. Um, it, is that something the Society of Motor Manufacturers and, and Traders could approach the EP, OEP and say, "We'd like you to investigate uh, this area of of, of go government policy." Well, as I said, those particular targets were not statutory, um, so there's been no proposed regression of environmental laws. So that would not be for us, um, but anyone can complain. If anyone feels a public authority has breached the law or, or failed to meet its obligation, it can so do- So commercial fisheries, for, for example, or, uh, or uh, um, the tourist industry? Yeah, and, and anyone can complain. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's a complaints <laughs> procedure. It doesn't matter, you know, necessarily um, who it is. Well, it seems a national sport nowadays, so I'm sure that we can, uh, get some professionals involved. Um, mm -hmm. Julie, uh, I think that we are, are running out of time. Um, mm -hmm. Thank you so much for your uh, fascinating insight into the world of the OEP. Um, ladies and gentlemen, I know that some of you uh, may still have questions to ask. Please do contact, contact us directly and we will pass your, your questions uh, on to Julie. We're also going to be posting a, uh, a copy of this, this presentation online in the next couple of days so you can revisit our discussions. Uh, it just remains for me to thank the members of the FS Club for making today possible. I'd also urge you to keep an eye on our forthcoming events page for, for more webinars, which over the next uh, couple of weeks are going to involve uh, banking on AI, uh, the latest customer research, venture investing in a sustainable future, globalizing net zero aviation, and the theory of conspiracy theory. That's if they let us hold that one. Um, now, you can catch up with all our previous webinars on YouTube, uh, on our LinkedIn channel and our Pizzazz TV channel. We do hope that we will see you again soon. Julie, thank you very much for your uh, fascinating presentation today. And thank you to everyone for, for attending. Goodbye, everyone.